Hello, hello, welcome back to another episode of Decoding the Unknown. As always, I'm your host, Simon Wimers here. One of my writers in this case, Katie. Thank you, Katie, has written me a script that I did the Titanic really sink. <laughs> the answer is yes, it did. Thank you for watching. Um, no, look, somehow we've got 22 pages of did the Titanic really sink. And this has got to be about the, um... I mean, a big boat sank in the middle of the Atlantic, right? No one is disputing that. I'm actually recording this just about a week after that um, Titan submarine imploded. So you're going to be probably watching this what a few weeks afterwards because don't want to be insensitive also if the, if the titanic didn't really sink at all those people would have had there there's nothing there what a waste and now we're all dead jesus christ what a way to go i mean i say what a way to go like it's horrible and stuff but i don't know like most people just like die in their sleep or die in, i don't know like a car accident or some terrible disease but like, I don't know, going down to like, fulfill what I assume is a life dream for a lot of people to go down and see the Titanic and stuff. I mean, it's not the worst way to go, is it? And from what I understand, it would all be over fairly instantaneously because of the insane amount of pressure down there. I mean, look, we'd all rather still be alive though, wouldn't we? What are we talking about? Let's just jump in. I've never read this before. That's the format of the show. Who knew the Titanic would be such a rich vein for me to mine in videos across the Whistlerverse? As well as a couple of side projects video, there's also one on this channel about various weird coincidences related to the doomed vessel, and now here's another! Thanks to everyone who suggested this topic, it made a change not having to visit Cryptid Down. Yeah, <laughs> Cryptid Down. Like, what's this? Oh, it's another monster that doesn't exist, but people think does for some reason, and keep perpetuating this like aliens, or Sasquatch, or God knows how many other creatures. Someone, we made a video about that. It was like the big cats of the north of England or whatever. And someone sent me a video being like, Oh my god, Simon, you're so wrong. Look at this. This is clearly like a jaguar roaming the hills. And I'm like, bro, no, it's not. It's just the perspective. It looks weird. But that's just a cat. And it looks like it's far away, but it's closer than you think. It's just a perspective thing. Like, it's not... <laughs> if there was a fucking jaguar out there, people would know. Someone would have shot that motherfucker. Sorry, we're talking about the Titanic. Let's get back to it. I'll try it. We're, we're one paragraph in and we got 22 pages to do. So let's, uh, let's chop chop, shall we? On the face of it, you might be like, what? Of course the Titanic's saying that's what everyone knows happened to the Titanic. It's its whole claim to fame. But then, why, may you ask yourself, is Simon sitting here all bearded and bespectacled, ready to talk for however many minutes on this very subject? It's many minutes. <laughs> bearded and bespectacled. <laughs> I saw a brilliant comment the other day. Someone said, Simon looks like he took all of the stuff out of the disguise kit and put it on. <laughs> and I was just thinking, yeah, and like often when I'm outside because I've got a bald head, I'm wearing a hat as well. <laughs> It's like, I've got a hat on, I've got glasses on, I've got a beard. It's like, I'm I'm just wearing, my, my life is wearing a disguise. If I ever have to go on the run, to like, oh, I recently found out. I always use like, in, in the casual criminalist, I'm always like, you gotta go to Belize, it's time to go to Belize. And then I found out Belize is like British. Like, I was always like, John McAfee fled to there or whatever, and he, he like, wasn't he like, there was some shady shouting with John McAfee. So Belize always became my go-to place for people fl uh, fleeing the law. I was having dinner with a mate of mine, and he was like, dude, it's not Belize, it's Lebanon. And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, Lebanon is where, like, criminals go to. And I'm like, why the fuck would they go to Lebanon? And he says, they don't extradite anybody. There are, like, terrorists, like, wanted by, like, the CIA and shit, and they just go to Lebanon. So from now on, it's Lebanon. How did I get here? Oh my god, we're like seven tangents deep. I'm so sorry, but I'm saying like, if I if I have to go on the run for like all my crimes, 
I go to Lebanon, now you know, and instead of putting on a disguise, I'll just shave my beard, remove my glasses, and not wear a hat. Boom. I'm prepared. Maybe there's something weird going on. Shall I listen to what he's going to say and maybe have my mind blown ever so slightly? No guarantees on the mind blowing part, but there is enough meat on the bone on this particular conspiracy theory to satisfy any viewer of this channel and also somehow fill 22 pages, Katie. Or at least it is double spaced. So it's not like, <laughs> I got one from David the other day it was like 22 pages and it was like font size three. I mean, you're like, oh my God, we're gonna be here forever. We're like there for three hours. <laughs> Or at least provide little snag. The whole story is quite interesting as it starts off fairly benign and then sort of branches into more murkier realms. The basic headline of the conspiracy theory is it wasn't the Titanic that sank. No, yeah, this is uh this is why I know it's like the insurance scam or something. Like, was it the Olympic or the Britannic? Titanic, Olympic, Britannic were the three of them. And like one of them was like damaged, and then people think that they did like an insurance switcher switcheroo so that they could sink the broken one or some shit like that but i'm like no 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 please no let's not be silly but let's find out maybe it's maybe it's less silly than we think but rather it's sister ship the olympic what why how who cares all these questions will be answered and more information than you ever thought possible on a sub on the subject will be covered Researching this topic was one of those annoying instances where I had to keep going off on little tangents to find out about every conceivable aspect of this plot, but go off on little tangents I did. So I hope you appreciate all the efforts. Oh god, there's gonna <laughs> tangents within tangents within tangents. I think we got so many requests for this because of a recent TikTok about the Titanic being swapped out, so we'll also go into that version of it. I I'm not on Tik I, I mean <laughs> TikTok's like weird. I don't have it on my phone because I don't want the Chinese spying on me. And I know that sounds paranoid, but all of these like technology things where you're like, you don't be paranoid about that, that's ridiculous. They all fucking turn out to be true. So I'm like, okay, let's not have TikTok on the phone. I recently read a security article that was like, yeah, reset your phone like once a day. Um, and it was like all of these security experts. It wasn't just some like thing you read on like Mum's Digest or whatever about like, you know, middle-aged people being concerned about security that they don't understand. But it was like actual technology experts were like, turn off your phone, hard reset it once a day to stop like any nefarious background processes that you know, makes hackers' lives difficult. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> There's so much shady shit going on. Anyway, I don't have TikTok and uh, I don't know. I, I have YouTube Shorts. Like I look at YouTube Shorts and it's pretty, pretty addictive. So I'm like, it's probably best that I don't have TikTok. Although I realize I make a lot of youtube shorts these days so i should probably upload them all to tiktok which means i'm gonna have to get a second phone or something because i'm not having tiktok on my main phone i don't want people listening to the shit like i don't know it's weird it's not like i've got anything particular to hide i just don't like the idea of being fucking spied on okay <laughs> i don't want people listening to me taking a big shit which i've already done this morning you're welcome just before we recorded this video in fact so here we go. Think you know about the Titanic? Well, think again. Or maybe you just think what you originally thought as there's a reason why this is just a fringe conspiracy and not a factual part of Titanic lore. Oopsie, I guess there's a bit of a spoiler. But hey, we tried to get to the bottom of stuff around here, or at least a couple of layers under the surface. So let's go! The pitch. The ship that sank in April 1912 was not the Titanic, it was the Olympic. We all know that a huge ocean liner struck an iceberg in the North Atlantic and sank, carrying over 1,500 people to their deaths. We also know that this ship was the Titanic, the jewel in the crown of the White Star Line, the largest ship and largest moving man-made object around. Well, I guess that, that makes sense. I never thought of it that way. God damn. But was it? White Star Line had another ship that looked almost identical to the Titanic, and that was the Olympic. But why is there this conspiracy theory that it was the Olympic that went down? What purpose would it serve to send one ship out pretending that it was the other? Well, my friends, that would be because of money. 
What a surprise. Always money. It's like, what's the motivation? Money. Money, money, money. Even with all the cryptid ones, it's like, yeah, why is this book guy wrote a book about Sasquatch? Money. He wants to sell a book, doesn't he? Hey, Simon, don't get too apoplectic. Why is that word so hard to say? Apoplectic in this section. The whole channel is called Decoding the Unknown, remember? We'll get to the explanations later if there are any. Okay, I'll try to hold off, Katie. Steady on. <laughs> okay, so the Olympics maiden voyage was about a year before the Titanics, and after only a couple of months, captained by Edward Smith, it got into a serious accident with HMS Hawk. Wait, was Edward Smith the guy who was also the captain of the Titanic? So he crashed one boat, and they were like, hey, Smith, you're getting promoted to the Titanic. And he's like, oh, goody. Definitely not going to crash that into any icebergs. <laughs> Made that mistake already. Crashed into another massive boat. Don't you remember? And then he went down with the shipwrights, at least according to the James Cameron movie Titanic. He's like standing in that. I remember that scene. He's like standing in that on the bridge and all the water's like building up and it smashes through the windows. He's probably like, oh man, they're really not going to forgive me for crashing another one of these bloody ships, are they? Hawk was a warship with a battering ram attached to it and the Olympic decided to swerve in front of it, causing the Hawk to ram two holes in the side of the much larger liner. The Olympic sustained quite a bit of damage as there was a hole under the water line as well as above, but the HMS Hawk was also very badly damaged with its whole bow crushed. According to the paper at the time, quote, the ram had been mashed flat. Here's where our conspiracy theory begins. The damage to the Olympic was quite substantial, and while it made it back to port in one piece, it then had to undergo a series of very expensive repairs which dragged on for several weeks. Prior to the Titanic being launched, the Olympic was the world's largest ocean liner, so White Star Line and its parent company were losing a lot of money. One, on the cost of repairs, and two, the loss of revenue due to the ship being out of commission for so long. In the end, to try and minimize losses and also get some money back through an insurance claim, a cunning plan was hatched. Wait, yeah, I'm like, isn't that what insurance is for? Like, these are giant ass boats it's not like they're not insured it's, it's, they're gonna get the money back of the crash and i'm assuming assuming their insurance policy is also going to cover lost revenues no isn't that what happens it's like if i crash my car like it goes in for repair and it's not like well you just gotta take the bus for the week they give you a car to borrow for like the week or however long it's being repaired oh my god did i tell you the story like someone crashed into me oh actually it was my wife was driving um and it wasn't her fault to be honest i just want to make it absolutely clear that it's definitely not my fault <laughs> throwing my wife under the bus or under the car um someone just pulls out and scrapes like the two side panels of the car i couldn't believe like and it was one of those things where it's like well you know if it was my fault i'll take that to like some dude around the corner and he'd like bash the panels out and refinish the paint or whatever with a little bit of white and be done with it but i was like well i'm not gonna do that because it's this guy's fault his insurance company's paying so i just take it to the the volvo dealership where i get like all my servicing done and stuff i take it in they give me a car for the week uh, two weeks and the car's in for being repaired and it's literally just a scratch on two side panels and I saw the bill that they sent to the insurance company, and it was the equivalent of £10,000. And I'm like, holy shit! Like, this would have cost maybe like £500 if I took it to a dude around the corner who bashed out the panels. And they were like, well, yeah, we had to replace both doors, <laughs> the front lighting array, which was like £700 or something, was like, just, they were like, yeah, it was, it was damaged a little bit, so we just replaced it. And then there was this, and then there was that. And I'm like, How'd you get to? And then it was like the car rental for the like week or whatever was like three hundred pounds equivalent. And I'm like, God damn! No wonder insurance gets expensive. Like it was absurd. I couldn't. I couldn't actually believe it. Ten thousand pounds. It was just a dent in the side. 
The Titanic and the Olympic were almost identical from the outside, so after a little time was taken to swap a few things over, it was actually the Olympic bearing the Titanic's name that set sail once again in April 1912 when the Titanic stayed in the docks, ostensibly as the Olympic was still being repaired. The plan wasn't to take the ship down, taking half the passengers and crew with it. The plan was to deliberately sink the ship somewhere out in the middle of nowhere, but, but the thought was that it would take ages for the boat to sink and there would be a handy ship nearby, maybe the SS Californian or Carpathian, that could then come to the rescue rescue of the passengers and crew. The damaged Olympic would then be off White Star Line's hands, but everyone would think it was the Titanic, which had had a recent increase in its insurance policy, so White, Line, White Star Line would be quids in and still have a nice seaworthy ship to work with, the pseudo-Olympic, which was actually the Titanic. Nobody would be dead, it would have been an accident, no harm, no foul, and then we know what happened next. If this seems a little bit thin, let's look at some interesting points. Yeah, no harm, no foul, except for the massive amount of insurance fraud that you guys are committing the ships. As we said before, the Olympic and the Titanic looked practically identical from the outside, and the Titanic was even captained by Edward Smith, who had previously captained the Olympic. What are you doing? He crashed your big-ass ship already! While it had a slightly greater internal volume, the Titanic was only about 3 inches, or 7.6 centimeters larger than the Olympic, a difference that wouldn't have been noticeable to the naked eye. Jesus Christ, I feel like that wouldn't be noticeable to dudes measuring it. These ships are big! It's 7 centimeters! It's like smaller than my hand! A lot smaller than my hand. How big's seven centimeters? Yeah, it's like the size of my finger on a whole big ship. Some of the things, such as the nameplate and anything with the ship's name on, could easily have been switched over. Advertising brochures for the Titanic actually used illustrations of the interior of the Olympic, so anyone who'd seen them would not have realized that they were on the wrong ship. After repair work was carried out on the Olympic following the collision with HMS Hawk, and also after it had lost part of its propeller on another crossing to New York, parts were cannibalized from the almost complete Titanic anyway, after delaying delaying the latter's launch day to prop up the only current cash cow in the White Star Line's hugely expensive suite of luxury ocean liners. Another pointer that it was the Olympic that is now at the bottom of the Atlantic and not actually the Titanic is that while the ship was going at full steam when it hit the iceberg, it was still below its actual top speed. At full steam, it should have been going at 23 knots, but instead was only doing 21 knots. This is consistent with what the damaged Olympic would have been able to achieve in the same circumstances. It's also been stated that where the ship broke in half after impact with the iceberg was an area matching where the Olympic had previously been damaged by the HMS Hawk. There was some more obvious telltale differences between the two, though, namely the portholes and the windows. The B-deck of Titanic had evenly spaced windows, but the Olympic had a noticeably different configuration of window spacing. Enhanced photographs of the undersea wreck of the Titanic clearly show the windows to be narrower and more irregularly spaced, just as the Olympics were. Ooh, that's quite compelling. I'm sure there's a reasonable explanation, because of course there is. But that's quite compelling for now. There's also a discrepancy in the number of portals between the sister ships. Early photographs of the Titanic show it as having 14 portals on its port side bow. However, when it left Southampton on its ill-fated maiden voyage, there were 16 portals. Just like the Olympic has. That's quite compelling. Surviving passengers on the Titanic also reported that the ship had consistently listed to port or tilted to the left. The Olympic also had permanent list to port after hull damage following its crash with HMS Hawk. Listing to the left's got to be quite annoying. There must have had like billiards tables on there, right? Like there's lots of rich people. I imagine they're like smoking cigars and playing billiards and all the balls just rolling. There's a crazy device. There's like, this is some crazy rich people shit where it's like, let's say you've got a yacht, right? And you want to play like snooker on your yacht or like billiards or whatever. There's a device which keeps it perfectly level. 
So it's like they also use it so like you can have an operating theater on like a plane, uh, but it's just like a device that is like on a gimbal or whatever that keeps it perfectly level. So you can be like it's rough seas and it's like like doing all these micro corrections. So you can play pool. They even have it. And even more rich people shit than that is they have it for wine cellars on board your ship, so your wines aren't sloshing around and getting all like you know they should sit nicely still and on a boat it's obviously moving around so if you want to store like very nice wines on your boat they make these like wine cellars wine fridges or whatever that level so they never move and i'm like that's insane that's some next level shit <laughs> it's like fucking cool right and it's enormously expensive absolutely i can't remember the prices but it was just enormously expensive another string to the swap theory bow is that during the building phases each ship was given an identification number which was also put on many of its parts fixtures and fittings originally the real olympic was number 400 and the real titanic was 401 when parts from the supposed retired olympic were sold and put on display in various places they should be showing the number 400 right well yes so why are there some that apparently say 401 adding to this confusion is the fact that the original olympic had lost a propeller blade at some point and had to be fitted with a spare from the titanic this confirms how the number 401 seen on underwater wreck footage could mean that the wreck is still that of the previously damaged olympic just with its replacement part from the titanic <laughs> yeah well okay <laughs> sure yeah the insurance did you know that a handful of days before it was to set sail the insurance on the titanic was more than doubled this meant that when the fake titanic sank white star lines would receive 12.5 million dollars for the actually already damaged olympic leaving them with much more money than they could have got for scrapping it or selling it and also having a 100 percent fully functioning titanic to then come in as the olympic um yeah okay but it's about to set sail for the first time i don't think it would be unreasonable to raise the insurance it'd be like cool it's sitting in port there's not a lot that's going to happen to it there's not a lot of risks but obviously when it's sailing the high seas more risks so more insurance that seems like a very logical big brain business move would it be suspicious to lloyds of london when this huge increase was put to them the titanic did have an extremely valuable cargo manifest so maybe that would explain the sudden hike and maybe it wasn't so outlandish when you consider that the hull by itself was insured for one million pounds in 1912 money coming into an almost unbelievable 146 million pounds today but i guess that's how inflation works indeed that is how inflation works whatever the case insurance companies seem to be a lot better in those days according to lloyds.com quote despite the high levels of claims arising from the tragedy insurers paid out in full within 30 days wow yeah i once made an insurance claim <laughs> i went on holiday and i locked the keys to the rental car in the car <laughs> I had to break the window because I was in the middle of nowhere. So I phoned up the rental car company. I was like, hey guys, what's the cheapest window to break? And they were like, why? And it's like, I've somehow locked the keys inside the car. It was really unfortunate. It's Because it's very hard to lock keys inside a car these days. Because, you know, the car will just refuse to lock. I, I did it several times when I had an old car. But how it happened was my mate was like... I can't remember what it was like we were gonna go swimming or something so we were getting changed as he somehow trod on the lock to the keys in his shorts so he'd taken his shorts off trod on the shorts which had locked the car and then he threw his shorts in the boot of the car and closed the boot and so the car was locked with the shorts in the boot so we ended up having to break sorry this will get to a point about insurance so we had to we phoned up the company and they were like yeah just break the small one at the back so we broke the small one at the back with a rock or whatever <laughs> reached in grabbed the keys from the boot and uh, unlocked the car and go back to the rental place and they're like well yeah you broke this so we have to take your insurance deposit or whatever it's like a thousand pounds or something 
and so fortunately I had this like um extra insurance thing so it was like some company or whatever and it's like yeah if you if you lose your money from your rental car they cover it so I put in a claim and I was like yo need this took like i had to write them angry letters and all of this stuff they finally paid up i car hire insurance don't go with them it was a huge hassle to actually claim and it was like i ended up having to do there's like these websites where they have like these forms that you can fill out and then they send their angry letters on your behalf and i was like okay cool <laughs> just do that please just get me my money and they eventually paid me which was nice but yeah 30 days it was not the passengers some well-known people lost their lives on the titanic including john jacob astor the richest man on board with a fortune of over two billion dollars in today's money isidore strauss the co-owner of macy's at the time and his wife ida died after giving up spots on a lifeboat and another huge financial hitter benjamin guggenheim also died and according to survivors put a rose in his buttonhole and said we've dressed up in our best and are prepared to go down like gentlemen other extremely wealthy people who went down with the ship were steel magnate George Denick Wick, railroad executives John Thayer and Charles Melville Hayes, Broadway producer Henry B. Harris, mystery writer Jacques Futrell, businessman George Dunson Wiener, army officer and presidential aide Archibald Bart, and artist Francis David Millet. But who wasn't on the ship? Interestingly, J.P. Morgan, you know, the J.P. Morgan fame, who was scheduled to be on the Titanic's maiden voyage but dropped out at the last minute due to ill health. That's a bit suspicious, old big nose, isn't it? He actually controlled the parent company of White Star Line, meaning he would have known all about their financial situation. His unexpected dropout had led people to believe that he was either in on the scheme to sink the ship, he was warned not to board, or there was another motive altogether, more of which later. Morgan was seen in public, seemingly in fine health, just two days after the Titanic sank. He had also had some valuable bronze statues taken off the ship as late as an hour before it was supposed to depart. Some 50 other first-class passengers who all had connections with Morgan also cancelled their tickets at the last minute. 50. First class is going to be pretty empty, isn't it? The ship only had like 2,000 people on it and 50 first class passengers just cancelling their tickets. The rescue ships. When the Titanic or Olympic sank, it took a while for other ships to get to the scene. Eventually, a large passenger steamship, the RMS Carpathia, arrived and picked up the survivors and took them back to safety. Could this have been a prearranged setup? The Carpathia had room on board for an extra 2,200 people when it came to the rescue. How many people were on board the Titanic that night? 2,240. I'm sure they could have squeezed an extra 40 somewhere or the other. Yeah, even if it could carry a thousand, they could get another. They could double that. Just have people standing on the decks and stuff. I know, no, it's not safe or whatever, but you know what? It's safer than being in the fucking water. Another ship that was in close proximity to the doomed White Starliner that night was the steamship SS Californian. The ship was on its way from Liverpool to Boston, Massachusetts, and had no passengers on board. It did, however, have a large number of blankets and woolly jumpers. There had also been a major coal strike in England, heavily affecting ships leaving or arriving at English ports. Why would the SS Californian have made an allegedly strange rushed exit from Liverpool when fuel was scarce and therefore extremely expensive? It was also apparently hanging out with its boilers all fired up, the wireless room closed, and Captain Lord asleep, fully clothed on a couch in the chart room. It has been speculated that it was actually on its way to rendezvous with the Titanic slash Olympic just after the accident had been staged. The Californian and its captain, Stanley Lord, were absolutely shredded in the aftermath of the tragedy when it came out that despite having seen the crippled liner shooting off distress flares, the Californian actually ended up not doing anything at all when it could have potentially saved many lives. In our conspiracy version of events, it was not an iceberg that ultimately did in the Titanic or pseudo Titanic. It was a prearranged smaller boat with its lights off. I mean, that boat is going to get ruined. <laughs> 
The flares that the Californian ignored were actually pretend distress flares from this other vessel. As Captain Lord was in on the scan, he knew this was just part of the act. When the sinking did not happen the way everyone thought it would, it was much too dangerous for the smaller Californian to get anywhere close due to the fear of being pulled under too. Pulled under by what? Oh, could it have been, like, was the Titanic so big that it would get sucked under the water and create, like, a whirlpool? Or, like, something that could suck the boat, the other boat down as well? Jesus. Oh my god, this must be very terrifying. A larger conspiracy theory. If all those little nuggets weren't enough, there's also a spin-off theory relating back to J.P. Morgan, the American investment banker who would be well over, worth, well, worth well over $2 billion in today's money. I mean, $2 billion is a lot of money, but is that it? How much is Warren Buffett worth? He's like the equivalent in today, not investment banker, but like just moneymaker dude. Like not a specific company or whatever. I'm Berkshire Hathaway, of course, but he invests. He's an investor. That's what he does. Isn't he worth like 80 bill? If you recall, he financed a trust called the International Navigation Company, which later became the International Mercantile Marine Company. Under this umbrella, a few shipping lines, including White Star Line, tried to monopolize the transatlantic shipping trade, but it never really had the success they were after, and the trust later underwent mergers and sales and petered out by the early 1940s. Anyway, remember that J.P. Morgan himself was supposed to be on board the Titanic for its maiden voyage as the biggest and most luxurious thing on the seas? He pulled out at the last minute, citing bad health. But was there really another, more sinister reason for his late cancellation, especially when you consider that three business rivals of Morgan's, Isidore Strauss, John Jacob Astor, and Benjamin Guggenheim, all met their ends on that fateful night? Again, this is all to do with money. This theory purports that J.P. Morgan was trying to form the Federal Reserve System to help pump money into the U.S. economy to stabilize the system during financial panics, which had been happening quite frequently in the early 20th century. Morgan wanted this system put in place as it would give his business dealings valuable government protection, so he managed to arrange for three of his most wealthy rivals to be on the already damaged Olympic when it went out masquerading as the Titanic. The Federal Reserve System was eventually created in December 1913, just over a year and a half after the Titanic sank and also after the death of J.P. Morgan himself, who had already passed away in March of that year. Well, okay, but get, conspiracy theories get it straight. Did they want to rescue everyone on board? And Was it an insurance scam or did J.P. Morgan want to kill off his rivals? You can't have it both ways. On the face of it, the whole Titanic Olympic thing seems to be completely odd, but it has been attracting attention for some years and periodically pops up again due to annoying people like QAnon bringing it up and random fast-speaking women on TikTok sharing their vast wealth of knowledge about the situation with us because obviously they know more about the shipbuilding industry in the early 20th century than anyone else because they've watched James Cameron's Titanic movie a few times. <laughs> what the sh Savage! Oh, and in case you were wondering what happened to the actual Titanic when the Olympics sank, well, it just served out its days as the Olympics, sailing all over the place and finally being retired in 1935. Alright, so I know you're dying to refute practically everything we've just said, so let's get to the fun part of ripping these theories to pieces and, and my favorite hobby, making fun of TikTokers. Let's go! Get to the decoding already. While I initially thought that this theory was totally insane, it got quite interesting poking about in all the supposed evidence for switching the ships. As people who take deep dives into conspiracy theories know well, it's very easy to get sucked in until sometimes you're not really sure which way is up anymore. Thankfully, even for a total dunce like me, this one is quite easy to pull out of and get a clear look from above. The main point we can make to quickly void this extremely complicated switch and sync for insurance purposes theory is, well, why? Why on earth would the White Star Line go to the considerable trouble of swapping things onto ships over and then arranging some sort of collision in the middle of nowhere with so much valuable cargo on board, never mind over 2,000 people, when they probably could have set the Olympic on fire in Southampton if it was such a millstone around their necks. Yeah, like insurance fraud is not hard. <laughs> 
You don't need to make it too elaborate. Just be like, oh no, the ship burned down. Because it's like got giant boilers on board. And they blew up, but there was coal dust or some shit. Boom, easy. It doesn't need to be complicated. But what about all the other stuff you've just told us about? Surely there are a few suspicious things in there somewhere. QAnon can't have lied to me. TikTok woman called herself a Titanic kid. That must mean they're onto something, right? Well, guess what? It's happened time and time again on this channel, never mind in the history of the human race. But all of this strange conspiracy nonsense can be traced back to a book written by two men. Oh my god, shocking. What? Let me guess, let me guess. They wanted to sell that book for... What was that thing that drives all of this shit again? Ah, oh, yes, money. Yes, could it be to do with money and selling a book full of nonsense? Could it be? Could it be about getting views on TikTok? Could it be? Could it be? If I did this video about, like, it was literally titled, Why the Titanic Never Sank. I'm sure it would get more views, and I'll just be diving in and be just like, yeah, the portals, yeah, JP Morgan, and people will be like, yeah! And it would get like a million views. Easy. <laughs> I don't know if it would. But I think it's more popular to perpetrate conspiracy theories than it is to tear them apart. But I like tearing them apart. In 1995, Robin Gardner and Dan Van Der Vat. Holy shit, that's a name. Dan Van Der Vat published a book called The Riddle of the Titanic, which amazingly had no subtitle. Within the 300 or so pages of the book, you'll find practically all of the pro-switch theories covered here, plus other examples that I couldn't be bothered to add in, and it seems to be the genesis of this entire odd idea. What you won't find in the book, though, well, any evidence or proof that this did in fact happen. But let's go through it anyway, in case you're not already convinced that it's the Titanic at the bottom of the ocean and not the Olympic. The ships decoded. We already know that the Titanic and her sister ship, the Olympic, looked very similar as they were part of the same line. The fact that the advertising for the Titanic used illustrations and sometimes photographs of the Olympic so nobody realized a switch occurred is adding 2 plus 2 and then coming up with 5. The Titanic hadn't even been properly finished when advertising started, so there weren't any good interior photos to take, if they indeed even used much photography and advertising brochures at the time. This would also be like, okay, so I'm going on a trip with like British Airways or whatever and it's a seven uh, what's the new one the seven triple seven well a triple seven or whatever and it's going across the it's going to America and they're like and then you get on board and you're like this isn't the one in the pictures online and it's like well no we don't take pictures of each individual one that you're traveling on we just take pictures of one and then are done with it because they're all the same or basically all the same this is totally fine. Most of the ads I have seen have been illustrations, and as the ships were supposed to be similar internally as well as externally, a drawing of the inside of the Olympic was going to be pretty similar to what you were going to find on the Titanic anyway. So no. Hey, same with hotels! It's like, yeah, there's a picture of the rooms. But it's not like, oh yeah, there's a picture of room 703, so you know exactly what you're getting. It's like, no. It's just like, I don't know, what do they call it? Like, deluxe room or whatever. And then you get a picture of it, and you're like, oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's going to be something like that. So no, this was not a cover-up, it was just using pictures of one already finished ship to advertise another ship in the same line that was going to be completely comparable. As for changing a few bits and bobs around on the ships to make one think one was on the Titanic when in fact one was on the Olympic is just totally farcical. It's not like you could unscrew a plaque with the name of the ship on it, swap it around, and bob's your uncle. There would be so much stuff that had the name of the ship on or was unique to each ship that you'd basically be stripping out both interiors and moving the whole thing over without anyone noticing what was going on. And yes, while a second ago I said the ships were practically identical, they did have several differences in some internal and external structures that people would probably notice. 
The website TitanicSwitch.com lists 30 key differences between the two ships, making it highly unlikely that they could be convincingly switched. This includes things like the promenades on Olympic's B-Deck that instead were private verandas and suites on the Titanic's B-Deck. Titanic's A-Deck promenade had a glass covering that was open on the Olympic. As if these differences weren't enough, the site ends the section by saying, not to mention the difficulty in changing the shell plating at the bow and stern which bore the ship's name. The names were not just painted on the plates, they were cut into the plates in letters four feet high and one and a half inches deep that were then filled with paint. So yes, just swapping a nameplate and a few bits of furniture definitely wouldn't cut it if this scheme was really carried out. And there are lots of people around finishing the Titanic and making repairs or just general maintenance on the Olympic. Unless every single person on the docks was in on the great switcheroo, it's not possible that this could have happened. There also isn't really a convenient time period when it could have taken place. The Olympic, despite the accident it had, was still a working, successful liner, constantly going on long-distance voyages. The last time the two ships were at the same dock was on the 7th of March 1912, a month before the Titanic's maiden and final voyage. Was this switch supposed to have taken place across the five days of the 2nd to the 7th of March when the ships were at last at the same place at the same time? The amount of work needed would have been immense and not possible to be carried out in five days and in secret. There are photos of the ships together during this period and at no point do you see any of the interiors being moved between them. Were parts of the Titanic on the Olympic, adding to confusion of which ship lies at the bottom of the Atlantic? Yes, some parts from an incomplete Titanic were used to repair the Olympic in a hurry, because, but these were not significant or large pieces. We said the Olympic lost a propeller blade, which was replaced by one from the Titanic, explaining why the Titanic's yard number of 401 was on the wreck, but that was surprisingly not true. The Olympic did have a propeller shaft from the Titanic, but that was about it. In reality, the blades of both ships' propellers were different, meaning they were not interchangeable, and also why, therefore, they had their own identification numbers. So, if you see a propeller with a number 401 on it, it's the Titanic, not the Olympic with the spare parts attached. The ship that sank did not break in half at the spot that was damaged when the Hawk ran the Olympic either. That was just made up. And while we've mentioned this accident several times, it really wasn't that bad. After being hit by the HMS Hawk, the Olympic still had work to do, so after it was eventually patched up, it was still seaworthy and safe and continued with its schedule of transatlantic crossings for many years. The damage was hardly bad enough to need to scrap or retire the Olympic, so there was no need for an insurance fraud to be carried out at all. The viral TikTok that revived this conspiracy recently was made by someone going by Mia.W22. And one of the main reasons she apparently touts this theory is because, and I quote, the Olympic was on the water for a while, she was reaching retirement, and they knew that. <laughs> Wait, no, both these shits are quite new. Hang on. Uh, sorry, mate, but the Olympics maiden voyage was in June 1911, making it a whopping 10 months older than the Titanic. Reaching retirement? I don't think so. Yeah, these ships are made to last for decades. What makes this even more hilarious is that the original video has been taken down, I think, but I found it on Lad Bible under the headline, Conspiracy Theory Claiming the Titanic Never Sank is Blowing People's Minds. Quality journalism there, Lad Bible. <laughs> Well, I know you're not trying the journalism, but it's like, come on now. Then the next article directly below this is The Bunning Sausage Sizzle Sauce Robot is Blowing People's Minds. Seems like any old thing will blow people's minds these days. Yes, yes, yes. It's also just very, like, clickable, isn't it? It's just clickbait. The leaning... <laughs> this Titanic conspiracy theory blown right open is blowing people's minds. If I've titled the episode that, well... 
I have no dignity. The leaning or listing to port that was observed is again hardly conclusive proof of a different ship being masqueraded out as the Titanic. Ships can lean a little to port or starboard for any number of reasons, apparently. The noticeable list to port was only described by survivors a couple of days into the voyage when at least one coal bunker on the starboard side had been emptied, making the port side heavier, not by observers as the Titanic was sailing out on the 12th of April. What else? Oh yes, much has been made of the supposed difference in the number of portals on the Titanic after its launch but before its official maiden voyage which led people to believe that it must in fact have been the olympic well unfortunately these people are wrong again i know zero about how ocean liners are built or were built over a hundred years ago but apparently according to people who actually do know about this sort of thing lots can change on a ship even quite late into the build yes the number of portals on the titanic was changed pre-maiden voyage after complaints from crew on the olympic that it was too dark in a certain area the Olympic then changed its number of portals after the Titanic had sunk, meaning it matched what the Titanic had last looked like. The arrangement of windows on the B-deck was also a point of contention, as there is a photo online showing the real wreck of the ship with slightly irregularly spaced windows. It then shows a photo of the Olympic with irregularly spaced windows and a picture of the Titanic with nice regular ones. Well, the pictures are genuine, but misidentified because guess what? The ship shown with the irregularly spaced windows in the photograph is actually, wait for it now, the Titanic! Because because of some changes to the B deck, including changing layouts to include suites and private verandas, the windows also became narrower in some areas. These are there are documented photographs of the starboard side of the Titanic just before her maiden voyage, which are an exact match to the windows visible on the wreck. So yeah, the proof just went poof. To the shock of nobody. The insurance decoded. Suspiciously, the insurance for the Titanic was double just a few days before it set sail. Well, I suppose this might have been a bit suspicious had it actually happened. Oh, okay, even if this, I don't even think this would be suspicious if it had actually happened, but did it not even happen? While this theory is one of the strongest indicators of a deliberate sinking for insurance fraud, there's no evidence anywhere of an increase in the insurance value. Independent valuations carried out and verified by different sources agreed the insurance value of the Titanic was around $7.5 million or 1.5 million pounds at the time. Wow, inflation and the exchange rate has changed, hasn't it? But here's the absolute kicker to boot this theory out of the water. The Titanic was only insured for $5 million or £1 million. Even if it was the damaged Olympics that got deliberately scuttled, they wouldn't be making back the full value of the ship. So, why was it underinsured then? Apparently it was usual practice for shipping lines to not fully insure their own ships as they were their own insurers and they then also relied on their captains and crew not to do anything stupid. Before the sinking of the Titanic, captains of the White Star Line were given a document setting out the company's regulations for the safe and efficient navigation of its vessels, which included calls, quote, to impress upon you in the most forcible manner the paramount and vital importance of exercising the utmost caution in the navigation of the ships and that the safety of the passengers and crew weighs with us above and before all other considerations. You are to dismiss all idea of competitive passengers with other vessels and to concentrate your attention upon a cautious, prudent, and ever-watchful system of navigation which shall lose time or suffer other temporary inconvenience rather than incur the slightest risk which can be avoided. Excellent advice. I think that's brilliant. Good. Maybe Captain Smith didn't read that part. Yeah, is it true that they were kind of racing across to set like a good time or whatever? Yeah, uh, wait, so they were their own insurers? Does that make... How's that work? But also, stuff's underinsured all the time. Like, I'm pretty sure, like, when I have car insurance, it's never quite for the full value of the car. You're like, okay, I just bought this car for X amount of money, and the insurance company is, okay, great, we're going to insure it for that amount of money. And I'm like, but then I'm not going to get all my money back. 
Ads is just, I think, isn't that just quite normal? That you're going to lose a little something as well? The penultimate paragraph also stresses how careful everyone needs... Sorry, I read that already. Maybe Captain Smith didn't read that part. So, uh, sorry, Nadine, just go from my comments about insurance and then take it to here. Maybe Captain Smith didn't read that last part. The penultimate paragraph also stresses how careful everyone needs to be as it would be a big financial blow to the company should any damages occur as they were also insuring the ships themselves. We have alluded, generally, to the subject of safe and watchful navigation. We desire earnestly to impress on you how deeply these considerations affect not only the well-being, but the very existence of this company itself and the injury which it would sustain in the event of any misfortune attending the management of your vessel. First, from the blow which would be inflicted to the reputation of the line. Secondly, from the pecuniary loss that would accrue, the company being their own insurers. And thirdly, from the interruption of a regular service upon which the success of the present organization must necessarily depend. Okay, the quote ends. We've covered this aspect now, but it's important to say that the White Star Line was not actually in any financial difficulties at the time. Sure, it was expensive and probably annoying to have to patch up the Olympics so soon after launch, but they had plenty of money and didn't need to hatch any sort of scheme to keep them afloat. The damage to the Olympic was not catastrophic, and they had loads of bookings and a pretty successful position as the premier line to sail with. Basically, as the Titanic was underinsured and the White Star Line was not in the red, the whole switching theory makes no sense sense. The passengers decoded. While there's no argument with who died on the ship, we can decode the events surrounding J.P. Morgan, who cancelled his trip at the last minute, even though he was part owner of the Titanic due to his financing of the White Star Line. Switch theorists, including Mia the TikToker, make much of his choice to cancel in a video. She says, So many important people were supposed to get on the Titanic, but they cancelled their tickets mysteriously right before they got on, right before it set off to sea. One of these important people was J.P. Morgan. Yeah, like the banker dude. Yeah, mm hmm. And he was like, Yeah, I'm not going to get on. Just don't feel like it. Girl, why? <laughs> oh, Mia the TikToker! <laughs> oh, why do people listen to you, Mia? You clown. Alright, so I'm assuming Mia had a nice personal chat with JP Morgan about this to get such a direct quote from the man, but methinks he may have fibbed her. In reality, JP Morgan was not in particularly good health. He died the following year, so maybe he didn't really want to take the transatlantic crossing at that point. Heck, who's going to argue with the big boss if he changes his mind about something? People cancel things all the time, and several other supposed last-minute cancellations of Titanic passengers turned out to be not so last-minute at all. But more to the point, J.P. Morgan doesn't even appear to have been scheduled for the maiden voyage anyway. According to research carried out by Mark Barber and published on Encyclopedia Titanica, Morgan, <laughs> this is a nice name. Morgan would regularly travel between Europe and the USA, but had never left for the USA prior to June of any year from 1904, so traveling in April would have been totally unusual. Plus the fact that the New York Times published an article in March 1912 stating that Morgan had written a letter confirming he was going to Venice, quote, for the inauguration of the Biennial International Art Exhibition April 23rd and dedicate the new Campanar of St. Mark's. I'm not entirely sure what this means, but it definitely means he was planning on being in Venice on the 23rd of April. Yes, indeed. If he was on the Titanic sailing to America on the 14th, he'd basically have to take a return crossing as soon as he arrived, which does sound unlikely. I can't actually find any proof that he did go to Venice, but it was publicly stated in his calendar prior to the Titanic setting sail. As he was never supposed to be on board in the first place, I doubt there were any bronze statues removed from the ship. The rest is it's just made up, isn't it? It's just like people are like writing shit and just being like, yeah, the bronze statues, sure. 
yeah, why not? We'll just throw that in there as well so he's sell more copies of our book, allegedly. Rescue ships decoded. The Carpathia was the first to eventually make it to the Titanic and help pick up her survivors. Switch theorists would have it that it conveniently had room for over 2,000 people, so therefore it was just waiting in the wings to go and pick everyone up after what was supposed to be a very slow sinking. There are so many reasons why this is a ridiculous theory, but let's start with one from a business point of view. The Carpathia was owned by Cunard, a massive rival of White Star Line. Why and how would you ask a totally different company and competitor to help you commit insurance fraud? There is literally nothing positive in it for them at all, and they weren't even the closest ship at the time of the accident, being over 50 miles away, which wasn't exactly handy, even if the whole thing was supposed to be a slow sinking. Moving on from that, while the capacity of the Carpathia was for over 2,000 passengers, there were at least 1,047 passengers and crew already on board for their own trip across the ocean. This means, yeah, it's like it's not going to be an empty ship. This means that there would definitely not have been enough room for all of the Titanic's passengers and crew too, with another 700 spaces needed. Apparently, there was room in the Carpathia's lifeboats for 702 people, so maybe they could have bobbed around a bit in those, but it's cutting numbers a bit fine as the Carpathia wouldn't have known the exact number of people on board. I also, I, I kind of discount that one. I think ships generally, while they say they're rated to take however many passengers, they can obviously take a lot more. It's not safe, but like I said earlier, it's better than dying in the water. Maybe with the Titanic's lifeboats added in there would have been enough room for everybody but as we said the Carpathia was tens of miles away so if anything was pre-planned which it clearly wasn't it all went wrong from the start and what about the other ship the SS Californian that could have helped but didn't yes I think the conclusion from many different reviews of the ship's actions that night was that they could have helped but didn't were they stocked up with lots of woolly jumpers and blankets on their way to provide aid for the nudge nudge wink wink accidents well no no they weren't there is no mention of blankets or jumpers or anything of that nature being on the californian so why had they steamed off in the middle of a coal strike well they hadn't the strike was over by the time they left liverpool why were their engines all fired up as though they were ready to race to the rescue in the middle of the night well they were stuck in an ice field and were just getting ready to move when they could they had even contacted the titanic and other ships in the area to warn them about the ice but according to an article i saw on the bbc the titanic's wireless operators told the californian operators to shut up Captain Lord had shut the wireless office down for the night and didn't react to the Titanic's distress flares. It seems strange in hindsight that he didn't react at all, so it was heavily criticized in the aftermath of the disaster, but he wasn't going against company regulations or anything. It just seems that, knowing what we know now, he maybe should have taken a bit more interest in what was going on. The notion that the Californian was supposed to be in on the Titanic's insurance scam is also totally ridiculous. It was a tiny ship in comparison, with room for about a hundred people, so it would not have been would have been no help in rescuing the thousands aboard the liner. Yeah, as <laughs> like I said, like okay, maybe you could squeeze like double the amount of people on a boat, but what? <laughs> We're gonna squeeze like. 20 times the number of people. And if they were supposed to be accomplices, why didn't they actually do anything? Worst accomplices ever. A larger conspiracy theory decoded. Now that we firmly kicked the switched for insurance theory in the bum after decoding both the switching and the insurance aspects of the story, let's spare a few seconds to rubbish the JP Morgan deliberately killing off his Federal Reserve rivals by letting them sail off in a doomed ship theory. I'm not sure where to even start here, but it sort of contradicts the whole insurance part of the main conspiracy theory. Exactly what I said you can't have it both ways the ship was supposed to sink slowly giving everyone enough time to be rescued therefore his rivals would not have died so what was the point was jp morgan really behind the calculated murders of over 1500 people and the destruction of a new ship just for a few measly million and carte blanche to put the federal reserve plan into action no 
Obviously not. Look, I'm no banker, but the whole US centralized bank thing wasn't just plonked into place in a few days. The idea had been running for many years. Also, JP Morgan wasn't the lone financier or brains behind the scheme. There were loads of people and institutions involved. Also, again, his three purported rivals on board the Titanic were not his rivals at all, at least in terms of being against the Federal Reserve System. In fact, Isidore Strauss had been recorded in the New York Times as being pro-Federal Reserve in October 1911, just a few months before the Titanic set sail, with one article headlined, Isidore Strauss urges new banking plan. Oh my god, look! When you actually look at the facts, none of this makes sense! What a shocking surprise for everyone here at Decoding the Unknown! This never happens! That sarcasm, it always happens. It's always not the case when you look at the facts, and you should always look at the facts, shouldn't you? It's ridiculous. As for Benjamin Guggenheim and John Jacob Astor, there isn't any public information about them ever expressing any opinion on it whatsoever. It was finally put in place after the deaths of all of these men and even JP Morgan, meaning that whatever their personal positions had been, the creation was always going to go ahead. Conclusion do we even need to have a conclusion here? I think we've solidly proven that the ship that sank on April the 14th, 1912, was the Titanic. It would have been far too complicated and involved way too many people to switch the identities of the sister ships around without the truth having already come out somewhere. We have also proven that, as the Titanic was knowingly underinsured, there wasn't much scope for an insurance scam. I'd also seen that parts of the retired Olympic that were later sold off had the Titanic's yard, yard number of 401 on them, which would have been quite convincing proof that the ships were, in fact, swapped. However, I have not found a single picture or confirmation of any such number anywhere on the remaining Olympic parts. The only ones I found were pieces with the number 400 of them on them, the Olympic's correct yard number. What a shocking surprise. <laughs> These theories come from the Robin Gardner and Dan Van Der Vat book, The Riddle of the Titanic, which came out in 1995 and was released in the States two years later in 1997 as the Titanic Conspiracy cover up some mysteries of the world's most famous sea disaster. Ah, there's that subtitle. Do you know what else came out in 1997 that was related to Titanic? Yes, that would be Titanic, the James Cameron movie. So, yes, I'll jump on that bandwagon, chaps. While Dan Van Der Vaart was brought on as co-author of Riddle of the Titanic due to him being a naval historian, Robin Gardner went on to write several more books about this theory by himself, even though I think most of it was probably already covered. In their only co-authored book about the switch theory, both Gardner and Van Der Vaart seem to allude to the fact that it obviously isn't true, with Gardner acknowledging that he had seen the Titanic's number of 401 stamped into a built-in, non-removable part of the bridge. A paragraph near the end the book says a conspiracy theory arises after a disaster because many people find it impossible to believe such a tragedy could just happen indeed for some a conspiracy theory is a psychological necessity to help them come to terms with a shocking event wait did you just say like yeah yeah, yeah all of this stuff that's no, just a conspiracy theory <laughs> just disclaim that shit at the end <laughs> so here the authors are basically admitting that this whole theory was just made up but then Gardner decided to double down and bash out a few more tomes about it, so maybe he ended up believing his own hype. Yeah, yeah, maybe he did, or maybe he just wanted some money, allegedly. So yeah, strange theory, definitely not true. QAnon can suck it, and don't believe everything you see on TikTok. Don't believe most of what you see on TikTok. I mean, goddamn, it's just like a wild west of nonsense. That's where we end today's episode. Thank you so much for being here, for watching it, if you're on YouTube, for listening to it, if you get it in its podcast form. If you get it in its podcast form, why not leave me a review, huh? That would be fantastic, and I'll see you next time. Seeking the truth never gets old. 
Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.